Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the CAV Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris. It's been a wild weekend, a lot of crazy news going around in the football world, so we're going to hop right into it. But first, I have a big announcement to make to everybody concerning the CAV Sports Podcast. We have, as of yesterday, officially been approved to be on Spotify. That's right, everyone, party and cheer. We are going to be on Spotify along with YouTube. And I'm going to continue doing the Facebook Live shows. So don't worry about that if you've been a fan of that. So you keep that in mind. But we will be on Spotify if you want to be on the go, download a couple episodes, or if you want to catch up on a few episodes, make sure to hit the link in the bio on my Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok, anything like that. The link will be in the bio. You hit it, it'll take you to the link tree, and then you hit the tab Spotify, and it'll take you straight to the channel. So make sure you guys check that out. But I'm so happy to announce that we will be on Spotify. But moving on from major news for the CAV Sports Podcast, let's move into the NFL. So topic one is a lot of stuff that's been going on. First off, the Arizona Cardinals have hired Monty Austinfort, the former director of personnel for the Tennessee Titans. They have been hired. He has been hired as the general manager for the Arizona Cardinals. So the Cardinals have solved their GM problem, which is a good thing because obviously you're going to need that higher leader to take over the team aside of the owner. And now they can focus all their attention to the head coach. But I just want to touch on that one. Next up, to continue on, on the hunting of coaches, the Colts have requested to interview DeMarco Ryans for head coach he is the defensive coordinator for the 49ers and everyone has seen this season what he has done with that unit nick bosa fred warner uh armstead all those studs on that team so he has the potential to be the next best head coach and clearly the indianapolis colts are in need of one after going through frank Wright, who was supposed to help the uh indianapolis colts when he brought in carson wentz it didn't work out they brought in matt ryan didn't work out and frank Wright got the boot in the middle of the season this year and then bringing in Jeff Saturday as interim head coach to finish it out. But now they're going to try to move on and get DeMarco Ryans. Next up on the coaching news, the Chargers have fired offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi and QB coach Shane Day. Now, everyone was thinking uh, the head coach, Brandon Sade, was going to get fired after them losing the game to the Jacksonville Jaguars, blowing a 27-0 lead. I will be getting into that game later on in the episode. But, however, kind of thinking about it, I did think Brandon was going to get fired as well, the head coach. But kind of thinking about this for a second. They play in a really hard division. They finish second in the division. They probably will not catch the Kansas City Chiefs anytime soon as long as Patrick Mahomes is still there. Keep that in mind. So he's not going anywhere anytime soon. And definitely they probably won't catch the Kansas City Chiefs unless Patrick Mahomes gets injured or he's not playing that season. And then also, the Chargers won 10 games. They've won more than double digit. They finished on the positive end of the season. They did well. They were able to get the top seed in the wild card. So, kind of looking at it, I understand that like uh, Brandon is more of a defensive-minded coach you know, with the young up-and-coming star of Justin Herbert, which I don't know about that now, and we'll get into that. Everyone's got to put the blame somewhere. They have to shift it somewhere. So if it's the quarterback, if he played good, and then they go to the head coach. So everyone's thinking we should call for Brandon's head 
And at first, I agreed with you. I really did. I was thinking, yeah, they need to fire the head coach because they need to get someone on offensive mind. But after kind of watching the game uh, this past weekend on Saturday, it kind of tells a different story. And what I mean by that is the defense for the Chargers was able to hold up their end of the bargain. They were able to force five turnovers. We'll get more into detail about the game. But it was more the offense that was the issue. And we've kind of seen that throughout the season that the offense was not able to move or they were lacking in some areas. For example, when Keenan Allen was injured, they were barely able to pass the ball. Mike Williams got hurt. They were barely able to pass the ball. Austin Eckler barely got any touches. So we'll get into more about the firing and how it's going to tie into Saturday's game. But Joe Lombardi has been fired as the offensive coordinator for the, uh, for the Los Angeles Chargers. So now they're going to be on a hunt for a new OC, maybe Cliff Kingsbury. He's in Thailand. I don't know if he's coming back, but hey, you never know with these things. Next up on the list, the Sean Payton sweepstakes is still going on strong. Another team that has been reported that has gotten successful permission from the New Orleans Saints to interview Sean Payton is the Carolina Panthers. Some other teams that are noted that are interested is Arizona, Denver, and Houston. Now, with Sean Payton, I don't really see him going to Houston. I really don't. He could probably fix a lot of things go about the Houston Texans, but he does not have that reliable quarterback unless they do get Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud that ha that is declared for the draft. We will get to C.J. Stroud in a moment about with more news. But I don't see him going to Houston. I don't think he can kind of. I don't think he'd be able to like. I don't think he'll like being there. To be honest, another a good fit might be Arizona just because he kind of runs a similar offense of Cliff Kingsbury. He definitely can work with Kyler Murray. But I'm, I'm, it's a little toss-up. I don't know if he wants to deal with all that drama, especially how much Cliff Kingsbury went through this season. Because we got to keep in mind, Cliff Kingsbury went through a lot with Kyler Murray just this offseason alone. With no one was even sure if he was going to play. No one was sure he was going to even sign a contract. No one was going to know if he was going to hold out to get an extension. So with all that drama he dealt with this season, we have to keep that in mind. Will Sean Payton deal with that? Because he's kind of like, he's got kind of head coach that will not take any of that kind of you know childish play from kyler murray you know all the the pettiness of that team that we went through and also the arizona cardinals are in talks of trading uh their top right receiver uh right receiver deandre hopkins as well so you got to keep that in mind so sean payton i'm sure he's gonna have this figured out if he even wants to go back he may go back and you may go sit in the analyst uh, seat again we're gonna have to see but they are another good contender and also denver Denver does have a quarterback in Russell Wilson. Obviously, this season he did not prove it, but Sean Payton can work with it, and he can also kind of let the defense run itself. But for sure, he can help out that offense because the offense was the biggest concerns uh, in that in the season for the Denver Broncos. So maybe Sean Payton will land there. But now the Carolina Panthers have requested to interview, and they have been granted access. What this means is that if Sean Payton goes to another NFC South rival, he will be going to the Carolina Panthers, and he will be coaching Sam Darnold, which. Depending on which way of the spectrum you lean, it's good and bad. Obviously, Sam Darnold did horrible with the Jets. He was not successful. There was like a couple of glimpses where he looked decent. And then he was with Carolina. He had a good stretch, got benched for P.J. Walker. And then Baker Mayfield came in, took a spot. Then P.J. Walker took a spot. And then he came out at the end of the year and almost won the division. So there's a little bit of a little bit of a limelight with the Carolina Panthers. So you can never count them out. Especially if they're going to build in the draft and see what they'll see what they're going to get. So we will have to wait for what Sean Payton decides if he even wants to return. But the Sean Payton sweepstakes is on right now. Next up, moving on over to the college football world. 
Jim Harbaugh has it has been uh, reported that Jim Harbaugh will be staying with Michigan. The president of the University of Michigan announced that he will be staying, and I believe they have as of right now on uh, this episode they have not released any news about a contract extension or like if he wants any more guaranteed money. Nothing has been released as of right now in this episode. However, though, Jim Harbaugh has been great for Michigan uh, for his past tenure there. He is seventy four and twenty five. However, the big thing that I kind of circle is that he is 1-6 in, in bowl games with Michigan. He's only won one, and that was his first year with Michigan in 2015. Now, he did get into the college football playoffs this past year, and they got eliminated in the first round against TCU. But I think Michigan is kind of happy. I think he probably enjoys co coaching college football a little bit more just because he always gets a fre new fresh set of players every year. You know, the transfer portal now being one of the biggest, you know, things and a, a funny acronym that somebody said on tv once was that everyone in college in college athletics is a free agent after their year is done they do not have a tied down contract so that is pretty true so i think it's probably he probably likes the atmosphere a little bit more obviously college football is more intense the fan base is even crazier the student sections the atmosphere of college football is bigger than i would and some people argue with the nfl so he may stay with Michigan. I'm not very surprised that he is. I'm just more surprised about Michigan wanting to keep him, maybe not going somewhere else. Just because one in six in bowl games is kind of the problem I'm having with Jim Harbaugh. He's having success, don't get me wrong. Obviously this year they went undefeated up until they played TCU. But he still has only won one bowl game, and that was the first year he arrived. I will take out uh, the COVID year, though, because I believe they didn't join. Uh, they didn't start playing until halfway through the season. Anyways, so that's out. But even then, uh, what's it called one in six? You take away the one, so he's one in five in bowl games. He hasn't won many bowl games, which is I think kind of the more uh, pressing matter when it comes to college football because at least he's getting the bowl games, but he's not winning them, which is kind of the concern. But congratulations, Jim Harbaugh, you will be staying with the Michigan Wolverines. Next up, C.J. Stroud, the Ohio State quarterback, has declared officially declared for the NFL draft this year. This season, for the Ohio State Buckeyes, he posted 3,688 passing yards, 41 touchdowns, only 6 interceptions, and an 88.9 rating, uh, and which is second, I believe, in college football. He was a Heisman finalist twice. He almost won twice. He lost out to Bryce Young and Caleb Williams this past year. He did make the playoffs for college football, and he's probably going to be a high pick. From the game we saw against Georgia, compared to what happened with TCU, he played a phenomenal game. He really did. So he is probably going to be a high draft pick, especially with how many teams this year are probably going to need a quarterback with, you know, the Houston Texans are going to need one. For sure, the Indianapolis Colts are going to need one. The Jets are probably looking into getting another quarterback, and maybe a couple other teams may want to look into backups. But as of right now, those are the top three teams that are probably going to need a quarterback. So C.J. Stroud going into the draft is definitely a big plus for everybody, especially – for the Texans and the Colts, because they are trying to, especially if they're trying to see if they're going to either outbid each other to get the number one pick from the Chicago Bears, or what they plan on doing after they both acquire new head coaches. But as of right now, still the Chicago Bears are in the driver's seat, and there hasn't been any reports that I've saw as of today, or as as far as this episode is being released. There has been no reports about anyone making a move for the number one pick. Now, about the number one pick. I have heard some people, some analysts, and some others saying that they should that the Chicago Bears should trade Justin Fields and try to get more draft capital out of him and keep the number one pick and get Bryce 
Young. I don't agree with that just because if you look at how their offenses ran, their offense was basically run through Justin Fields, which is great and all, but obviously it didn't work like that. You need to get him weapons. The concern is that you need to protect Justin Fields, and the concern is you need to get him better weapons. That should be the Chicago Bears' concern. It should not be we should go get another quarterback because Justin Fields has shown he's probably the best thing in Chicago right now. Probably the best thing coming out of Chicago this year for the Bears. So the I don't understand why some analysts think that they should trade away Justin Fields. I highly doubt they're going to do that just because it does not make any sense for the Chicago Bears to do that. It doesn't make any sense to anybody else that why would they give up a pretty potential quarterback you know, for possible for Bryce Young or possibly uh, C.J. Stroud. So it is going to be interesting to see what's going to happen leading up to April in the NFL draft. But I do not see, I don't see the Bears picking Bryce Young and trading away Justin Fields. I don't think that will happen. And I honestly don't think a lot of people will give up a like so, so like a like a king's ransom to get Justin Fields. I honestly believe that it's not going to be like what happened with. Uh, with the 49ers that gave up a King's Ransom to get Trey Lance. I honestly don't think that's going to be the case this year. And I honestly don't think the Bears are interested in getting another quarterback because even then it's just going to be quarterback battle and they're going to have to see who's going to take the starting spot, which they could have used anywhere else, like a wide receiver or an offensive lineman or even the defensive tackle out of Georgia, which they do need help on defense as well. So to end on that note, I do not think Justin Fields is going anywhere, but we will have to see now two Two high-pick quarterbacks are in the draft, so we'll have to see if anyone calls their bluff, if anyone's wanting to get the number one pick, or what Chicago plans on doing. Next up, some more college football uh, notes. Uh, TCU players Keandre Miller and Quentin Johnson have t- have declared for the NFL draft. Uh, I'm going to start with Johnson. He recorded 1,069 yards and six touchdowns. I will say kind of a good stat with him is that from what I've seen on how he's played this year, He's probably going to be a top wide receiving pick. He just is. From how I've seen him play, he's more than a tall wide receiver that runs streaks. And that's very uh, that's very pinnacle in the NFL because you run a very large route tree. If you're just a one-trick pony that runs and goes and gets the, the fly route, that's not enough in the NFL anymore. It just isn't. Especially if you're going up against defensive backs who are just as fast as you and just as elusive as you, possibly more athletic than you. You cannot just rely that you're going to run the fly and your height's going to stop it. Is it going to be able to be uh, be uh, just enough? Because obviously that's not enough in the NFL nowadays, especially with how crazy offenses are getting, how more creative offensive coordinators are even getting, and how more bold some teams are getting in the NFL now. You can't just be a one-trick pony. And I think Quentin Johnson has a lot more tools than just running the fly route. He can clearly run the fly route. He can run the drag and be, in, uh, be inside the linebackers. He can run. He's run some pretty good slants. He's run some post, uh, some good post routes. So I think Quentin Johnson is probably going to be either a first-round pick. He's going to be an early-round pick for sure. Now, Keandre Miller, moving on to the running back from TCU, he ran for 1,394 yards and 17 touchdowns, which made him fifth in college football, which is very impressive. From what I saw from Keandre Miller is that he is an elusive back. You know, he's a great receiving back, and he definitely was missed in the college football playoffs this year for the national championship for TCU. And he definitely helped out against Michigan as well as he was the two-punch combo with Demaricado. So I don't know if he'll be a high pick, though. I don't see him probably going in the early rounds. He may be like a fourth or fifth round pick. I'm not really sure who's 
desperate enough to get a running back. But there's also a couple other good running backs that are in the draft this year that may be worth a little bit more than uh, Keandre Miller. Because also, I think the other thing that's going to kill him is the injuries. Um, he did get injured uh, in the Big 12 championship, and then he got injured again uh, during Michigan, and he was out for the National Football uh, Championship. So I think that might be one of his setbacks is if he gets injured then he might fall even lower. But I don't see him going undrafted or signing as a free agent. I do see him getting signed but or drafted, just not probably not as early as he thinks he's going to get or how many people might think. He might get drafted like in the, like, the mid, probably around the mid-rounds is probably when he's going to get drafted. But don't get me wrong, whoever gets him is going to have a gem because he proved that he's a great running back. Now, moving on to topic two of the day, the wild card, super wild card weekend just finished this week and we have our winners going on to the divisional round first game we gotta start with how about them cowboys that's right the cowboys beat the buccaneers 31 to 14 at tampa bay give it up for the dallas cowboys you are moving on first oh first away playoff win in 30 years which is very big for the dallas cowboys especially as a dallas cowboys fan Right now, if you are watching the YouTube channel, you can clearly see I'm wearing my Trayvon Diggs. If you are listening to this on Spotify, I am wearing a Trayvon Diggs jersey and a Cowboys hat to pair it just to celebrate Victory Tuesday. Now, let's start with the obvious. Let's start with the obvious here. Dak Prescott. Rain Dakota Prescott played the best game he's had this season, hands down. Here's some of the stats. 25 for 33, 305 yards, 4 TDs, and 24 rushing yards with one touchdown to add on top of it. Dak played the best game this season. And this is the first game he's played, including the regular season, he has not thrown a pick. After he got back from the, the, finger, the thumb injury, he averaged about an interception. And he led, he tied for the league, uh, league lead in interceptions. This was the first game in a long time for Cowboys fans or anybody. He has not thrown an interception. And that's what I've been praising on this podcast. I understand you want to be aggressive, but when playoffs comes around and you start turning the ball over, things can get ugly. We saw that with the Buffalo Bills. We will get to them in a moment. But we saw the damage that can be done when Dak Prescott turns the ball over, especially when they turn into uh, when they turn into scores for the opposing team. So... With him not turning the ball over this week was a breath of fresh air. That was the best Dak has ever played this season. And I think some people have argued that maybe in his career, I don't know about his career. 2016 was a great year for him. And I believe 2020 was going to be a great year if he didn't get injured. I will say, though, in postseason play, that's his best game he's ever played. I will agree with that. There have been a lot of people saying that. That will probably be his best game he's ever played, depending on what happens with San Francisco this weekend. But to move on from Dak Prescott and the high praise, defense stepped up. This From the previous games that we have saw, the defense was lackluster. The rushing game was not there anymore. Clearly, the clearly with Anthony Brown being gone, we didn't have any corners. We were shuffling through corners like crazy towards the end of the season. And this game against Tampa Bay definitely came together for the Dallas Cowboys. Everything that they went through and everything that came to, uh that was struggling it just all came together except for brett maher and the kicks i don't know what happened with brett maher missing all those field goals that was probably the most frustrating thing i had to watch that whole game was him missing the field goal attempts it was be it would be wide of the left wide of the right 
uh, kind of one of the thing I would compare it to is if you get a test, you're, you know, ride with me here. You're taking a test and the professor comes back, gives you your test back and says, hey, I'll let you retake the test to get a better score. But then you take the test again and you got an even worse score than the last time. That's what I compare the Brett Maher kicking last night. But aside of Brett Maher missing all the extra points, defense stepped up. One player that caught my eye and I didn't know who he was it, uh, number 24, Israel, I'm sorry if I botched your name, uh, your last name, uh, Mukomo, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce his last name, If I'm sorry if I butched it, but Israel played a great game, aside of Micah Parsons in that, and Leighton Vanderesh being back, we definitely need Leighton Vanderesh back, he was one of the players that was just flying around in the secondary, he was making stops, he was making plays, he was kind of one of the bigger shockers I saw, Xavier Rhodes uh, got to play this game as well, so we're kind of getting him in the groove, but the defense was playing top-notch. That's the top-notch defense that we've seen the first five or six games prior to Dak, or whenever Dak got injured. Or, yes, I'm sorry. After Dak's injury, we saw, that's the defense we came to see. That's the defense that was helping Cooper Rush, you know, get those five win, those four out of the five games that they have won. That's the defense that will carry this team probably far into the playoffs. And as long as they keep playing like that, they're going to have a lot of success. Moving on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Brady, 35 for 66, 351 yards, two touchdowns, and one INT. The Cowboys' defense was able to hold Leonard Fournette. They, Leonard Fournette and that running game. That running game was non-existent. They have not been existent for the past month or so. Only rushed for 52 yards, resulting in Brady half having to throw the ball more often than he wants to. Especially if you, don't, especially like if you want to have a balanced a balanced, uh, balanced team and a balanced game, you need to be able to get yards. And the rushing game has not been there. Even with the return of their center, I'm blanking on his name, but he came back. It still wasn't enough. And for the Dallas Cowboys, they did not get the top-notch Brady that we have seen or the top-notch Brady that, that they played against the past two years. They did not get that Brady. We saw a struggling Brady, and I know a lot of people were talking about that. Like That's why they were giving the Cowboys a chance. Now, the compa- Now, I will admit... I was wrong about this game. I really was because I picked the Buccaneers last week to win and I was being more realistic with myself, you know, kind of preparing for possible disappointment because I was scared of Dak Prescott's play. Dak Prescott outplayed Tom Brady hands down on uh, last night. He did. On Monday Night Football, Super Wild Card Weekend, he outplayed the greatest of all time to ever do it. And on top of that, you could just clearly see the frustration that was going on with that team, you know, as you've seen all year. We've seen Brady get frustrated. We saw him get frustrated in the game. We saw, you know, Leonard Fournette getting frustrated. I believe they lost a running back. He got injured, and he was frustrated. He can't get back in the game to help out. There was just a lot of frustration with that team. Now, the biggest question. What's next for Tom Brady? Will he retire? Will he sign back with the Buccaneers? Will he reunite with the evil empire, the New England Patriots. Will he go to the Las Vegas Raiders, who have ju- who is waiting to see if they can get a trade for Derek Carr? Who knows? He is a free agent this uh, after this season. He has been I, kind of pulling an Aaron Rodgers, leaving a little bit of cryptic messages. I know in the press conference, he kind of left a little cryptic, saying, you know, possibly he may not come back. We will have to see what's going to happen with Tom Brady going into the season. But for sure... He, I think he'll come back. I don't know if he's going to come back with the Buccaneers just because we saw the level of frustration that was happening with that team this year. He may want to leave. Do I think he'll go to the New England Patriots? No. I do not think that he will go to the New England Patriots because one of the things that I've seen out of all these firings of these head coaches in the NFL, 
Matt Patricia has not been fired from the offensive coordinating position, which is kind of kind of taking becoming that point where it's long overdue because as we saw with the Patriots, they were barely able to get any offense going with Matt Patricia going with running the show. And Tom Brady probably does not want to go back to New England with Matt Patricia calling the offense because he's just going to have an even worse time in New England. And on top of that, the only thing with Vegas is that Josh McDaniels is not the head coach. He is not. He is not the offensive coordinator. He is not running the offense as much as you think. And from what we saw before, Josh Josh McDaniels is not a good head coach. He's a better offensive coordinator than he is a head coach. So who knows about that with Brady? And if or maybe he might decide to stay with the Buccaneers if anything happens to the coaching staff. But we will see what happens. But Tom Brady, is he retiring? Is he going anywhere else? Who knows? Next up, probably the game of the uh, the game of the weekend, the Jacksonville Jaguars coming back down 27 to nothing to beat the LA Chargers. Now, I'm going to start with the LA Chargers. Justin Herbert, 25 for 43, 273 yards, one touchdown. Who do I blame in this game? Who do you blame? I blame a little bit of everybody, but I blame the offense just a little bit more. Here's why. The defense recorded the highest number of takeaways in a playoff game. Five. Four interceptions and a muffed punt and got it. Justin Herbert only had one touchdown. Austin Eckler only recorded 39 rushing yards on 12 attempts and two touchdowns. The offense need if the offense would have scored one more touchdown in the second half, game's over. I want people to understand that. Game's over if Justin Herbert scores. In the second half, they were barely able to run the ball. They were passing it way too much. 43 pass attempts. You have the lead. You are up 27 to nothing against the Jacksonville Jaguars. You cannot be passing the ball that much. You need to kill the clock. At that point, you're in. We need to suffocate and get this win. We need to give Austin Eckler the ball. Whoever else, run screen passes. You do not need to be trying to throw the ball downfield. There's no point. You're already up 27 to nothing against the Jacksonville Jaguars. You are basically burying Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson into the ground, but they rose up and took the playoff win away from them. So I heard, I did hear some people say, like, well, we, the defense can't give up that many scores. And you're absolutely right. But the defense forced five turnovers. Five turnovers in the first half. The most in playoff history. Now, to kind of give a little bit more, the Dallas Cowboys scored 55 points earlier this season against uh, the Minnesota Vikings. They won their game, and that was the highest scored that's, uh, this season, I believe. If you record something at a record high, you're more than likely going to win the game. More than likely, especially getting five turnovers in the first half. It's not even throughout the game. It was the first half. You are winning the game. That is a guaranteed win. That is probably the best your defense could ever play. Ever. But you don't score anymore in the second half. Now, I believe it was Emmanuel Acho on Speak. He was he talked about it from a defensive perspective since he played defense. He said, after you're up so many points, you're kind of in that mode of okay, let's not lose. Let's keep you know, let's keep the clock going. Let's get their offense off the field. Let's get the offense you know, let's get our offense on there. Run out the clock and let's get out of here. You play a little bit more looser. You don't play as strict and heavy. Now, if you want to believe that or not. That's up to you. That's within the eye of the beholder. But I don't believe that. For me personally, if you're if you're kicking, if you are punching them, they're punching their teeth down their throat. 
you finish the job. Like, that's just me personally, just because you don't give them that chance to come back. And what we're noticing is that, you know, in the NFL, it's not as uncommon to come back from, you know, from far behind. We've seen it earlier this season. The Indianapolis Colts had 33 points on Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. They came back and won the game in overtime. We've seen it happen. So you can't put on the card of, well, they had a, you know, they kind of played a little bit more looser. They're up. We've seen crazier things happen in the NFL. We just have. And now we witnessed another crazy thing. So the so with the Chargers and their offense, one touchdown, one more touchdown, they win. But in the second half, they were struggling against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense. The Jacksonville Jaguars defense, can, obviously, they can only do so much if you give the ball away five times and they're all in their end zone. I believe one of them was in the eight yard, uh, the Jacksonville eight yard line. The other one was in the sixteen yard line. The other one was on the thirty two yard line. I believe the other one was like on the twenty ish uh, yard line in their own territory. Of course, they're gonna have a hard time stopping that. Of course, they just had to go back on the field five different times for five different turnovers. That was not even any of their fault. But the but the Chargers need to understand that they they were in control of that whole game. They were holding Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence down. But they let them come back in the game and they ultimately lost. And that was their that that was just the final nail in the coffin. Because once they saw that they came back and took the lead, they were still not able to move. Because now Jacksonville's playing with that mentality of we're gonna win this game no matter what. When they got back the lead. They were they were determined not to let the Los, Los Angeles Chargers come back. Determined not to let Justin Herbert get any more points or get any more yards. And how does this affect Justin Herbert? This affects Justin Herbert because, in theory, a lot of people have him over Trevor Lawrence. You know, a lot of people can make the argument. A lot of people can make that, that argument. And obviously, he's talented. And I will not knock that. He's a talented quarterback. He really is. He has the numbers, but when you're not winning games, that's where I'm having the issue. You can put up these great numbers. You can put up garbage num uh, stats if you really want to, but if you're not winning the games, then what's the point? What's the point of you having this great, you know, this talent, but we're but you're not getting anywhere? And I think the Chargers fans in the organization, I don't, they're not they're not gonna get rid of Justin Herbert for sure. They're gonna pay him the pay him his money probably, but you know, it's been a pattern. They're, they're he's getting good numbers, but they're not winning games. And this was a big one. He had, you know, this is technically a decent game outside of the only one touchdown. He only had one touchdown. That whole five turnover experience that the Jacksonville Jaguars went through, he only had one touchdown. Austin Eckler had two. He didn't. He wasn't even the main contributor. And on top of that, the, he can't help the offensive coordinator's incompetence with Joe Lombardi when he was deciding to still throw the ball and not, you know, time management a little bit better. Maybe that's a little bit on... Uh, the head coach, but that that's that's just something that's beyond me. It's a mind blower what happened on uh, what happened on Saturday with the Los Angeles Chargers. Now moving on to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence, two hundred uh, twenty eight for forty seven, two hundred eighty eight yards, four touchdowns, and four ints. Take away the turnovers, Trevor Lawrence outplayed Trevor Herbert hands down. Take away the turnovers, hands down he played a whole lot better. He had a really bad first half. And he even admitted it. I did not play good in the first half. But the big thing that he kept touching on was that he did not lose confidence in himself. He's, you know, they went in the locker room and said, you know what? Shake it off. Four turnovers. It's done. You know, four interceptions. We can't fix it. A fumble, a muff punt. We can't fix that. We're just going to have to move on and try our best to get back in the game. I believe they scored a touchdown right before the, uh, right before halftime as well. So they were not down by a lot going into the second half. 
So with Trevor Lawrence, he was able to keep that confidence and he was able to keep his team motivated to play. Because most teams being down 27 nothing with five turnovers, you're thinking it's a wrap. That's it. We're done. We're going to be eliminated. It's fun. It was fun while last time we got a home playoff game. They did not give up. Trevor Lawrence did not give up, which is going to be big for him and his legacy, I believe. This is going to solidify he's going to be the franchise quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he's going to be a great quarterback. I believe he's, you know, he's working up to be a great quarterback in the league right now. And showing that kind of resilience and showing that kind of power against a quarterback that they say is better than him says a lot about Trevor Lawrence. It really does. It talk, It shows how much confidence he has in himself, how much, you know, how hard he's willing to work, and how much he's willing to bet on himself. So congratulations to you, Trevor Lawrence. Along with uh, uh, Travis Etienne, who recorded, I believe, on 12 carries, 109 yards. And I believe he had a touchdown, if I, can, if I remember correctly. I'm sorry. I'm blanking on that. But he outran Austin Eckler, who is a good back on his own. So... Overall, in the second half, the Jacksonville Jaguars just flat-out outplayed the Los Angeles Chargers. And we can all agree on that. Next up, Seattle and the 49ers. I will say, in the first half of the 49ers and Seattle game, it looked like it was going to get ugly. I, I ain't going to lie. It looked like it was going to be a great game. And what I mean by ugly, it was going to be ugly for the 49ers. Because they were not moving. They were struggling against Geno Smith in, that, in the Seattle defense. Brock Purdy was not putting up Brock Purdy numbers in the first half. But, obviously, they ended up pulling out the big win at the end. So, I'm going to start with the 49ers. Purdy, 18 for 30, 332 yards and three touchdowns. He did struggle, like I said. And he was down 17-16 at the half. We got to keep that in mind. Now, what I think is what happened is what happens to every young quarterback. You get put in the bright lights. You're in the playoffs. You're in the divisional round. You are the second seed. You are the team to beat. And he probably got a little bit of the, you know, the the bright lights just kind of shocked him for the first couple minutes, uh, or first half in this case, just because he's never done this before. He went, he played at Ohio, uh, Iowa State. They didn't play in any big national championship games, so this is probably like a first for him altogether. So, but for him to stay that calm and composed and was able to light up the defense in the second half, one of the biggest things that I think a lot of people kind of touch on, but I definitely touch on it a lot, his escape ability. His ability to run away from tackles and pressure, the able the ability to extend the pocket and make the plays needed. Now, when I say that is that is because one of the plays he did was that he was chased out of the pocket to the left and he cut back to the right and he was able to get out of two or three possible sacks and still make the throw. And not a lot of quarterbacks can really do that. Unless your name Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson, maybe Josh Allen. But he did it in a way that was you know, it wasn't anything crazy. It wasn't going to put the team at risk. It wasn't like he was doing too much. He looked like a quarterback that has been playing this for a while. He doesn't look like a rookie quarterback. He just doesn't. And that's what I saw from his play. And obviously the defense playing stellar, they forced, uh, I believe they forced three turnovers or two, uh, three turnovers. Or Sorry, my bad, two. They forced an INT and a fumble. So the defense is playing well. Nick Bosa, I believe he was the one that forced the fumble and recovered the ball. So... That defense is always going to be stellar. I don't really see any issues or any kind of problems with the 49er defense. So it's just really going to depend on Brock Purdy and that offense. But congratulations to the 49ers. Let's move on to the Seahawks. Geno Smith, 25 for 35, 253 yards, two touchdowns, and one INT. He played a great game the first half. I ain't going to lie. He did really good. He was connected on DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett throughout the game. And he was playing stellar. He really was. Up until he threw the pick and fumbled the ball. That's when everything went wrong 
for the Seattle Seahawks. That's when everyone knew, okay, this is the San Francisco. This is what Pete Carroll was nervous about. And, I mean, you still can't take away. They, I believe Seattle played a lot better this season than everyone thought. I thought they were possibly going to end up with, like, the, one of the top five picks in the draft. They ended up finishing in the wild card uh, in the playoffs. So, congrats to them for at least doing better than what everyone thought. Even, I think, the Seattle Seahawks thought, uh, didn't think they were going to do the greatest. But they did incredibly well considering the fact that they started with Geno Smith, who was a, who's a journeyman, and no one thought he was going to play this good. Everyone thought DK Metcalf's out the door. Kenneth Walker was a little bit of a toss-up. Tyler Lockett's getting older. And Pete Carroll's not, you know, he's not the top head coach anymore. So everyone was very concerned, but they did well. And congrats to them for making the playoffs. And they have at least a little bit of a bright spot going in the next season. I'm reading your comment right now. How about them Cowboys? Next up, the next game, the Ravens and the Bengals. Now, I'm going to start with Joe Burrow. 23 for 32, 209 yards, one touchdown, and one rushing touchdown. It's a rivalry game. He's played, you know, this is the third time them play, uh, they are playing the Ravens. It's obviously just going to be weird because they know how they run their offensive system and how that defense kind of, op they operate well enough to stop Joe Burrow and at least hold them a little bit. So I don't give him too much nod. But I will say the turning point in the game was when Sam Hubbard returned the fumble for about 99 yards for the score to give him a 14-point advantage, and they end up winning by 7 points. Now... They are going to need that kind of defensive play. They are going to need it going into the Buffalo Bills. But I don't think they played that bad. I think it was it was a rivalry game, and the Ravens have a great defense. But I'm going to hop on the Ravens real quick. Huntley did not play that bad. 17 for 29, 226 yards, two, touch, two touchdowns, and one INT and a fumble. The defense is what was the key, though. The defense for the, for the Baltimore Ravens was the key to this game. Here's why. Because they only held Jamar Chase to only 84 receiving yards. Only 84. Jamar Chase, probably one of the top wide receivers in the league right now. Definitely the probably one of the best young receivers in the league right now. Not even 100 yards. They were able to only allow 51 rushing yards. So that kind of defensive play is, is a recipe for success. It really is. And the Baltimore Ravens offense was just running the ball all day. That's all they were doing. Because they don't have the offensive weapons like Joe Burrow does. All they have is Mark Mark Andrews, just uh, J.K. Dobbins and Huntley. That's and Huntley and Mark Andrews. That's all they got. Like that. That's just the reality. That's all they have. But they were able to go toe to toe with Joe Burrow and the defending AFC champions. Now I will state this though. I will say this. Lamar Jackson plays. They win that game. I think how well the Ra Baltimore Ravens defense played. Hands down. Hands down. Lamar Jackson wins that game. And. That, and if you take away the fumble that he that Huntley caused in the in the end zone that got returned for a touchdown, definitely Lamar Jackson plays that different. He doesn't try to hop over the line and extend it for the score. He tries to you know cradle in, find a little gap, and try to sneak his way into the end zone, kind of like how Tom Brady or Dak or any other quarterback. I think I think uh, Jalen Hurts is another good example who try to stay low to the ground and just push their way through. That's what Lamar Jackson does. Huntley did not do that, and that ultimately was the downfall of the Baltimore Ravens. So, I think what this game kind of messages is that, obviously, they're, they're bread and butter's defense. They've always had a great defense. Their, their defense was the main reason why they won the Super Bowl with Joe Flacco. They're, de they're a defensive team. 
I don't know where the offensive juggernaut thing came from. I don't know if it's because of Lamar Jackson coming in or what they were thinking. But defense is definitely their bread and butter because defense set them up to possibly win the game. We have to keep that in mind. They Their defense set them up for, for victory. They really did. And if Lamar Jackson plays, they're probably going to go play in, against Kansas City. They just are. So the ball, so the uh, the Cincinnati Bengals are happy that Lamar Jackson wasn't there because he probably wouldn't won the game. And Huntley, I'm sorry, like for playoff debut, but you know you did well enough. Congratulations to making it to the playoffs and doing enough to you know try to put your team in a positive position. Now, also, Roquan Smith proved why they gave him the bag, why they gave him all that money. And Kyle Hamilton, who I think should be a Dallas Cowboy, I think we should have got him over Tyler Smith. Because I was, I thought he had a lot of potential. And he was probably one of the best players on the field for the defense. He stepped up real big. He was able to make stops. He was able to break up passes. So the defense for the Baltimore Ravens have a lot of potential going into the future. Just now they got to figure out the quarterback problem. Which is, are they going to pay Lamar Jackson? Are they going to possibly move on? Just franchise tag him and trade him? Who knows what's going to happen with that? I know that they want to keep Lamar, but obviously Lamar is asking for a lot of money. So it's really not known for the Baltimore Ravens to give up all that kind of money, but they just paid Roquan Smith. So they got to figure something out now, now, but congratulations to the Cincinnati Bengals for winning your game. All right, next game, the Dolphins and the Bills. Now I did see this game being a blowout. I thought the Buffalo Bills were going to blow out the Dolphins, but the Dolphins kept it interesting. I will admit, Skylar Thompson, 18 for 45, 220 yards, one touchdown, one INT. They played well enough to at least stay in the game. The defense played spectacular to definitely keep them in the game. But I'm going to go to Josh Allen. I'm going to go to the Bills because clearly no one expected the Miami Dolphins to win the game, especially without Tua Tungavailoa being there. But I'm going to move to Josh Allen. 23 for 49, 352 yards, three touchdowns, two INTs, and a fumble. This is my concern with Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, that whole offense revolves around Josh Allen. Either make the big throw or make a giant run because their run game is inconsistent. There will be games where Singletary will have 100 yards. There will be games where Josh Allen has almost 100 yards. And then there's games where they can't run the ball at all and they just rely on Josh Allen's arm. So they have a very inconsistent kind of running game. I believe in total they had 100 yards, but their top running, I think their top rusher was... Only like at 59 yards that whole game or 53, something around there. And I think another thing we got to keep in mind is that if Tua Tagovailoa plays, that's possibly a loss for the Buffalo Bills. They get eliminated in the wild card round because this is something that I believe no one talks about because the Buffalo Bills were 13 and three. Do you guys know that aside of Dak Prescott and uh, Davis Mills, who's second in interceptions is Josh Allen. He's tied with two other people, Derek Carr and Kirk Cousins. They are all tied for second with 14 interceptions this season. He has thrown almost as much, almost the same amount of interceptions this season as Dak Prescott has. And everyone slandered Dak. You know, obviously Davis Mills threw that many interceptions, but the Houston Texans weren't that good. But everyone slandered Dak Prescott. Everyone's, including me, you know, I'm slandering my own quarterback, you know, too aggressive, this and this. And... The thing we we forget is that that offense that revolves around Josh Allen, he is turning the ball over as well. He turned the ball over 14 times just by himself this season, and he's tied for second in the league behind, or he's tied with Derek Carr, who had a horrible season this year playing for the Las Vegas Raiders, and Kirk Cousins, and who has had one of the most weirdest seasons we've ever seen in the NFL. So with the turnover being the issue, 
there have been times in his career and definitely the season where he's played at a level where, you know, it's to his competition. He's played below where he needs to be. And he's definitely been a little more reckless with the ball throughout his career in the NFL. I believe last season he had 15 interceptions and 36 touchdowns. This season he had 35 35 touchdowns with 14 interceptions. Still a lot of interceptions for a for a quarterback that's probably the second best quarterback in the NFL right now behind Patrick Mahomes. And with that though, you can't turn the ball over 3 times and expect to possibly win, especially who you're seeing down the road. They're seeing Cincinnati pretty soon, and we just saw their defensive lineman return a 99-yard field goal or not field goal, fumble return. And we just saw him do that. Now imagine Josh Allen throws those three turn has three turnovers again against Cincinnati. They're not going to the AFC Championship. That's just hands down uh, a fact. It, it just is, especially with your when you're playing a t you know a little bit of a team that's close to your level. So I would say with that, the biggest concern is probably going to be the turnovers with Al with Josh Allen, just because you know 14 interceptions in the season and every and not many people slandered on him like I said because they were 13 and three because they did really well. They ended up as, with the second seed in the AFC playoff picture, but 14 turnovers just by yourself, and I believe he had he fumbled eight times and lost two of them this season. So the turnovers are definitely going to be the biggest concern, I believe, for Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills going forward. Is that if he turns the ball over way too many times, especially going up against the Chiefs or the Bengals, or if he makes it to the Super Bowl, anybody that makes it out of the NFC, they're not going to win the game. They just aren't. So I think that protecting the ball is going to be the biggest, the biggest priority for Josh Allen. I'm sure Sean McDermott, the head coach for the Buffalo Bills, is going to you know, heavily hit on that as they go into their divisional matchup with the Cincinnati Bengals. Next up, another game of the, and probably one of the game another game of the week of that whole weekend, the Giants versus the Vikings. I will start with the Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. Kirk Cousins did not play a bad game. I think that we kind of need to accept that. 31 for 39, so only 8 in complete, just 273 yards and two touchdowns. What I've been saying for a while is the defense is the weakest link in that team because we've seen how explosive they can be. But I also think another issue is that the offense is too revolved around Justin Jefferson. They have weapons. That's why they traded for TJ Hawkinson. That's why they signed Adam Thielen to a long contract. That's why James uh that's why James Cook is still there, even though he has not been productive this season. But Kirk Cousins did not play a bad game. Those numbers are actually not bad. If you look at those numbers, that's that's probably a winning game. It just is. But the defense is definitely the weakest link, as as we saw. They were not able to stop Saquon Barkley or Daniel Jones. There were times in the game where I seen them almost stop Daniel Jones, but then Daniel Jones just runs out of the pocket and gets yards. And that's I mean, that's great for Daniel Jones. I know he's trying to get an extension. They the New York Giants did not pick up his fifth year option. So he's definitely this is his uh, contract year and he's playing up to the level. A lot of people expected him to play, or at least kind of a little bit above, in my opinion. But for Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings, I'm sorry you have been eliminated. But defense is going to be your weakest link. Hopefully, in the draft or in the and the free agent when the once the free agents hit on the market and that opens and the draft comes up, they're probably going to draft mostly defense. But I also think the offensive coordinator needs to kind of fix their offense because if it's Justin Jefferson or bust, that's not good. That, uh, real, I'm sorry, it isn't. You can't rely on just that one wide receiver to make everything for you. You just can't. It's the same situation with the with the Tennessee Titans. They rely on Derrick Henry way too much. They they traded away AJ Brown uh, this past year, and they saw how how much they struggled against 
against teams, you know, trying to throw the ball because they didn't have wide receivers that were going to get open. They just relied on Derrick Henry. It's the same logic. You're gonna if you rely too much on Justin Jefferson, defenses are going to cover him, or you're going to have a good corner that's going to lock up Justin Jefferson, and he's not going to be able to get open. Kind of like what happened with the Cowboys when he went up against Trayvon Diggs. Trayvon Diggs locked down Justin Jefferson. They had to go to other players, and that's why they ultimately lost. Thielen has already said he's leaving the Minnesota Vikings. Well, that's going to be tough for Minnesota because that is another weapon. I think he's probably one of the most underrated wide receivers uh, in the league right now. And he's leaving. That's that's not good. Hopefully, Minnesota can figure that out. But I'm going to move on to the G-men, the Giants, the New York Giants. Daniel Jones, 29 for 35, 301 yards, two touchdowns. That That's that's the type of quarterback play you want from your quarterback. Like That's the type of play you want from Daniel Jones, especially going into the playoffs. And their head coach, uh, I'm blanking on his name, but he is probably going to win coach of the year just because he's able to turn around the Giants organization in his first year. And they're probably going to set themselves up for a good, probably for a good couple years. But another key in this offense, uh, Saquon Barkley, 53 rushing yards, two touchdowns, but he also had 56 receiving yards. So he had over 100 yards of total offense. And as I've stated before, the New York Giants are going to go as far as Saquon Barkley can carry him. And right now he is carrying him pretty far and i believe now they're they're in a they might be able to beat the eagles it's a possibility now after seeing what they did against uh minnesota now i don't know how they're going to slow down the offense of the of the philadelphia eagles however if they're off if the giants offense can play to the level that they played this past uh this past weekend they may have a chance to possibly win a shootout best case scenario because we've seen how exposed the philadelphia eagles defense can be after a couple of their key players go down and they're a little bit, you know, they're a little bit on the weaker, on a weaker hand. So we will have to see. But congratulations to the G-Men, the New York Giants for winning and moving on to the divisional round. Now, last topic for today, the divisional pick for the divisional picks for this weekend. First up, we got the Jacksonville Jaguars versus Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Um... Just because I, it's been great for the Jacksonville Jaguars, but I think the Chiefs are probably going to win this because knowing Patrick Mahomes and how Andy Reid runs and Eric Bieniemy, they they could be up twenty-seven to nothing on you. They're still gonna throw touchdowns. They will not care and they will not feel bad for you. They will make sure you are not coming back because they've seen how crazy things can get. Now, I don't know if it's going to be a blowout. I'm not too sure after seeing you know how much. Uh, resilience the Jaguars had and how you know how much confidence Trevor Lawrence has in himself and keep in mind Trevor Lawrence has never lost on a Saturday crazy fact he's never lost on Saturdays this might be his first one I think the Kansas City Chiefs offense might be a little bit too much for the Jacksonville Jaguars defense I think uh, the biggest the biggest key that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to have in this game is Travis Etienne because Kansas City has not had a reliable running back this season they've had to go through about three or four different running backs this this year and Travis Etienne is is uh, emerging as a great running back, uh, probably an upcoming great. So they definitely have that edge, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars do. But I probably see the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs probably pulling it away, pulling it away. Next up, Philadelphia and the New York Giants, the G-Men. I'm gonna have to go with Philadelphia on this one. I think they win a close one. I don't think they're gonna win it completely. I don't think they're gonna blow out the Giants. I really don't. And Philadelphia has does have the number one seed. They did have a bye week, so that gave J Jalen Hurts more time to rest his injured throwing arm. And for sure, 
they're gonna they're gonna need to they're gonna need to make sure they get the, that great quarterback play and make sure they protect Jalen Hurts. I don't think that Jalen Hurts is gonna get hurt again, but he needs to not take those many risks again. You know, obviously, if you're gonna run the ball, get down and slide. Don't try to you know truck people. Obviously, uh, the head coach for the Philadelphia Eagles Eagles is gonna set them up for success but it's going to be a close game i don't think the philadelphia eagles is going to handle saquon barkley you know just enough but and if daniel jones could play just as well but i think philadelphia wins in a close one i'll give it 27 24 next up the Bengals and the bills that's going to be probably game of, that's probably going to be the the game the game of the weekend because it's two top teams going up against each other it's a rematch after the demar hamlin incident they're gonna get another crack at each other it's going to be close but I'm going to take Joe Burrow, Joe Shiesty. I'm going to take the Cincinnati Bengals. Because if they can force that many turnovers against uh, against Josh Allen as Miami did, which they forced two INTs and a fumble, they're going to be they're gonna be in a good position. They just are. And kind of seeing their inconsistent running game, I think that Sam Huggard and that defense is going to be a little bit too much for the running game. And all they have to do really is cover Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis. Because obviously Gabe Davis just decides to play like a number one wide receiver in the playoffs as we saw in the past two years and then Stefan Diggs is Stefan Diggs but I'm sure they're gonna have a plan for them and I think Joe Shiesty in that offense is gonna move uh, is gonna at least move the ball well enough to beat Buffalo and if they can force those turnovers off of Josh Allen they're not gonna win that game that's exactly what happened in Miami if Tua Tagovailoa played and those turnovers happen still they're not winning the game period they're just not so I'm gonna give it to the Cincinnati Bengals on that one Next up, the Dallas Cowboys and the 49ers. This one, I'm a little scared. I'm, I'm not going to lie. As a Cowboys fan, I am scared of the 49ers defense. That is probably my biggest concern. The reason why I don't say Brock Purdy is because Brock Purdy has all those weapons. And that's what I think is what makes him very fearful. You know, Christian McCaffrey getting 100 yards almost every game. Probably the, one of the best running backs in the league. Arguably, he was the best running back in the league at, a time, at one point. Debo Samuel. The Swiss Army Knife. He can run the ball and catch. Brandon Ayuk, who is a great uh, wide receiver too. Brandon Jennings, who's you know emerging. George Kittle is gonna is probably one of the top, probably top five uh, tight end in the league right now. So that's what doesn't make me fearful. And then they have Trent Williams, the best offensive tackle in the league. That's why that's why Brock Purdy doesn't scare me too much because he has those weapons. He's a, you know in theory he should be that successful because he has all those people in there. He hasn't played a caliber defense the Cowboys have. That is true. That is true. So we, we're going to see. But I, I believe in Micah Parsons, though. I think Micah Parsons, I don't know if he's going to match up with Trent Williams or not. I don't think so, just because you want your pass rusher to get there. And I will say, compared to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they do have a better offensive line, and they do have a better defense. However, the 49er defense has been getting turnovers. Nick Bosa is probably going to win Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, Eric Armstead, great nose tackle. Fred Warner, a great middle linebacker. I think I'm going to have to give it to the 49ers on this one just because their defense is probably my biggest scare. And I don't know if Dak's going to play like that again. I just don't know. I, I don't I don't expect it against a really a, the best defense in the league right now. And I think they're going to stuff the run. I don't think they're going to let Ezekiel Elliott eat. They're not going to let Tony Pollard get outside of them just because of how much they swarm the ball. So I'm going to give it to the 49ers on this one. Now, I don't think they're going to dominate. I don't. I don't because I think Dak is not going to let that happen. I don't think the defense is going to let Brock Purdy get that many touchdowns. So it's going to be probably 
decide what, what's going to go on with Philadelphia and the Giants. It's probably going to be a close matchup, but I think that's going to be the biggest difference is that the 49ers defense is going to stop, you know, get more stops than the Dallas Cowboys defense. And that's what I think. And that's going to wrap up this episode of the CAV Sports Podcast. In case you missed it earlier in the episode, uh, I did announce that we are officially on Spotify. That's right. I have been approved. The page has been approved to uh, stream all this podcast and other previous episodes on Spotify. So if you guys want to watch this either on YouTube or go stream it on Spotify, you can download it You know, or catch up on any other previous episodes that you missed. But I'm going to wrap up from today. Make sure you follow me on all my social media. It is at CAV Sports Podcast or CAV Sports. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And now we are on Spotify. But thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you have a great day.